0: The following program is paid for by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 1071, AZBK 0910184. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Absolute Mortgage. Visit absoluteloans.com or call 888-90-HOMES for cost information. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage. Now in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell.
1: Welcome to the Money Hour on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, October 8th show. I am your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. My goal is to keep you up to date on the latest news and trends in our local economy. Keep me tuned in and I'll keep you informed. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests I have in studio today, please call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. And my lineup for the show today, Matthew Gardner, Chief Economist with Windermere Real Estate. We're gonna have a conversation on real estate economics. Also, I have in studio Sally Fox with Engaging Presence. Take your business to the next level by sharing your story. Great information and great guest in studio. For more information on any topic discussed, please call into the show at one 855 41150 again that's 400 41150 or online at the moneyhour.com and to start out the show as always with a little money chat
2: money money
1: Bring It For Money chat talking about the difference between cost and price. When buying a home, the cost is more important than the price. My advice to any of the buyers out there, look at the cost of purchasing a house more than the price of the home. Obviously, price is part of the cost equation, but assuming that you're not an all-cash buyer, a large part of the cost is going to be the mortgage interest rate. And we can all agree at some point in time, they must go up. So the mortgage rate can have a dramatic impact on the overall cost of you purchasing your home. Now, I'm not attempting to predict the future interest rates. I've got an economist here in studio that I'm going to talk with, and maybe he'll do that for us. But I do want to help you understand the potential impact on the cost of purchasing a home if interest rates do increase. Now, even if you think the market may drop in price, if you believe that the interest rates will increase, the cost of a home could be more expensive. So let me run some numbers for you. If today you could purchase a home for $500,000 with an interest rate of 35 a 20% down payment, that would put your loan amount at 400000 the principal and interest payment would be 1796 a month. Now if you waited a purchase thinking the market may decrease, and let's just say that the market drops 5%. That $500,000 home would drop down to 475. With the same down payment of 20%, your loan amount would be $380,000. But interest rates, let's say went up just 1%. So they increased from three and a half to four and a half. Your principal and interest payment would increase to 1925. So for a 25,000 discount in price, but with a 1% increase in rate, the cost to purchase the home waiting would be higher. So the increase in monthly payment would be $129 a month. The additional interest paid over 10 years would be $31,000. So make sure that you're looking at the true cost of purchase before making a decision to wait because you think the market might drop with the understanding that you may agree that the interest rates are going to go increase. It's really easy to look at the numbers, put your assumptions in there and see if it really makes sense. Now we're also, you know, in addition, you can look at the tax uh, deduction that you would have on the home and waiting, and potentially not being able to get into the home that you want because you're cost you're getting yourself out of the market, buying potential and being able to afford to buy. So you may be listening, you may be listening and today's markets have no concerns about the real estate market depreciating, but feel that they're going to, you might be seeing some nice appreciation. So what if you lost out on that appreciation and interest rates went up? Double whammy. <laughs> So my shout out to you today is to really look at the, the opportunity to get into the market now while the interest rates are low. That is my money chat for you. Coming up next on the Money Hour, Real Estate Economics with Matthew Gardner, Chief Economist with Windermere Real Estate, right here in on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break.
3: Did you know that your story is the secret tool that will make your brand come alive? Do you wanna stand out with your customers, create a memorable website, or lead the way on social media? Sally Fox at engagingpresence.com will show you how to use story power to connect with customers and make your message heard. Visit engagingpresence.com and sign up for Sally's free tips and inspiration about developing story presence. And tell Sally you heard her on the Money Hour and receive a free 30-minute consultation about creating the story you need to make your business grow.
2: This is Sally Fox of Engaging Presence, and I look forward to hearing from you. You can reach me at sally@engagingpresence.com or visit my website, engagingpresence.com. I have some treats for you on the site, including if you send me an email, a special handout I've written for you on how to find great stories from your clients.
0: You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell.
1: Welcome back to the Money R with your host and mortgage expert Tina Mitchell right here at eleven fifty AM KKNW, the Saturday, October 8th show. I'm committed to providing you knowledge needed to be successful in every area regarding your finances. Knowledge is power, and that's what the show's about. That's what you'll receive from listening to the show. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but you can always call the show at one 855 411 1150 Again, that's one 855 411 1150 or online at themoneyhour.com. Right now now in studio. Always a pleasure to have Matthew take time to come in and visit and share his wealth of information with my listeners. Matthew Gardner, Chief Economist with Windermere Real Estate.
4: Hi, Tina. How are you?
1: I'm doing just fine, Matthew. I know you've been doing a lot of traveling with um, all of your speaking engagements and everything that you're doing uh, with your uh, position over at Windermere. And again, I just really appreciate you taking time to uh, share what's happening in our economy with my listeners.
4: Always happy to be here.
1: So a little bit about Matthew as chief economist with Windermere real estate. Matthew Gardner is responsible for analyzing and interpreting economic data and its impact on the real estate market on both a local and national level. Matthew is former principal and of Gardner economics and has over 25 years of professional expertise, both in the U.S. and the U.K., Matthew chairs the board of trustees at the Washington Center for Real Estate Research at the University of Washington, sits on the Urban Land Institute technical assistant panel and is an advisory board member for the Runstads Center for Real Estate Studies at the University of Washington, where he also lectures in real estate forecasting. So, Matthew, some are still talking about the new housing bubble. What's your take on it?
4: Uh, the bubble question. This is if there's a question I'm asked 15 times a day. It's that: yes. Are we in another bubble? And the very simple answer to that is absolutely not. Okay. And there's lots of different reasons why. There's some straightforward indexes which I look at, which is let's say price. And so, have prices been rising? Yes, but if you look at compared to the previous peak, in a lot of markets, we're essentially where we were six years ago. Yes. And at the same point in time, you've also got mortgage rates which are about two and a half percent lower mm-hmm. than they were. And we've seen some income growth and what have you. So combining those things, that says it's okay. There's also some other things that I look at, which is mortgage availability. Everyone assumes that there's just this endless pot of money out there that if you want a mortgage, you can go and you can get it. That's actually not, not the case. Mortgage availability numbers are actually up, but they're still well below where we saw them pre-recession. Yes. That tells me that banks are being somewhat cautious, which is good uh-huh. in terms of their, their lending. And we talk about lending policies as well. They've obviously changed dramatically. We've moved from the fact of uh, essentially having a heartbeat, you can get a mortgage, 2004, 2005, to almost uh, the the other end of the spectrum. We're now at a point whereby you've got to have remarkably good credit and certainly be able to pay, pay that bill at the end of every month. So when you combine all those factors together and look at the fact we're seeing considerable more demand now than we've seen for quite some time, even if we see... If we look at household formation numbers, for example, if we see the uh, ownership rate even drop down further from where it is right now, Mm -hmm. let's say to sixty percent, which is will be an all-time low, over the next three years, we still can have to have a demand for about another five and a half million uh, owner households. So there is infinite, not infinite, there's a large amount of demand there, limited supply. Prices are certainly going up, but on a national basis, I'd say, yeah, bubble, absolutely not. Now there are a couple of markets which are concerning. And what markets,
1: what markets are those? <laughs> I knew you
4: are going to ask me that. <laughs> uh, I'm worried about Denver. I'm yes, worried about come, Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm worried about the Bay Area. Really? And just the fact you the San Francisco, okay. the median home price there right now, about $1.3 million. Yeah, that's c- which crazy. Is, yeah, and now they make more money than we do in, uh-huh. in Seattle, but not that much more. Yes, yes. So you talk about in that respect, some markets I'm watching closer than others. Uh-huh. Seattle is just fine. But on a national basis, no no bubble inside.
1: so you you talked about the inventory and the lack of it. What do you see happening with the inventory? Do you see that this is going to be improving, and what type of impact would that have if it was a little more accessible to find a property out there?
4: Well, again, one of the biggest problems that buyers have got out there I mean, getting mm-hmm. out to see some uh, a lot of buyers getting remarkably tired chasing yes. a very limited amount of homes all of a sudden you've got multiple offers and escalation clauses mm-hmm. and writing wonderful letters to the, the, the mm-hmm. owners saying, please sell to me. Yes. That can get boring very quickly. Yep. Next year, do I expect to see a modest increase in inventory? I think we will see that. Will it be enough? No, it's still going to remain, I believe, heavily a seller's market. Okay. But we'll see some more. Now, normally what you tend to see when markets are very, very tight, builders building a lot more houses. Mm-hmm. That's the one missing piece of the equation. We haven't seen that. We have a lot of builders, larger builders are just holding off saying, well, why flood the market? We can see prices go up. That kind of makes sense. Yes. Smaller builders are also having a problem because they want to, want to build speculatively mm-hmm. and they're having a hard time borrowing money from the banks to do that. So if you're going along to a plot and saying, I want that house, uh-huh. they'll say, great, come back in 120 days, it'll be ready. Well, we're not going to wait that long.
1: Exactly. So
4: therefore, we're going to go back to the resale market. So are we going to see some increases in inventory? Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Through the course of next year, we've already started to see a slow move in Seattle towards a more balanced market, but it's still not there yet.
1: You know, I was just going to ask you that next question. It's funny that you just brought that up, because why are we seeing that there's not quite as many multiple offers, or it's not as crazy, Mm -hmm. but the inventory isn't? I mean, we're not getting more homes. So what do you think? Is it the election that's... (laughs) People are just kind of backing off a little bit. I know we never talk politi- politics here with you, Matthew, but I don't um, talk politics at all on the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: yeah, I mean, I, I think um, a number of the calls that I've had recently certainly been revolved around the election. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right, I, I, I will um, make a point if it's something to do directly to real estate. Uh, if it's a bigger picture, political thing, I won't. Um, so I think, yeah, is there some people maybe holding on the sidelines a little mm-hmm. bit? I think that's the case. Okay. I think also a lot of people are waiting for more inventory. To come on the market yeah because there's more choice out there you see we're in a situation right now and we talk about lack of homes for sale it's kind of a chicken and egg argument and that is the fact that i want to move that's great Mm -hmm. Uh, if i find somewhere to buy i will sell my house or list my house yes i can't find somewhere to buy Mm -hmm. i'm not going to list yes so which one gives first i think we'll see somewhat greater inventory at levels we're slowly seeing that already the numbers that came out from the local multiple listing service a couple of days ago, Uh demonstrated that we're seeing some increases, which is good, price growth is still high, higher than average, but I think we will see some more listings next year, but it will, I'm afraid, not be enough.
1: Yeah. Okay, so Matthew, let's switch over to uh, interest rates, and um, at a close historical low, when are they going to change?
4: We see, and uh, I'm not the only economist in the country that analyzes real estate that has uh, forecasted interest rates and got it completely wrong for the last three years.
1: I know. I, I say, you know, after the last three years, as experts were all right fifty percent of the time. <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So the way you have to look at it is the fact that we certainly we all expected rates to go up when essentially the government turned off the printing presses, when uh-huh. we stopped qualitative easing, we stopped buying treasury bonds, ten-year bonds, and the yields on mortgages track treasuries, the yield on the 10 year paper. Yes. So as we stopped uh, printing our own money to buy that debt, we assumed that the yields would have to rise Yes. because there'll be less demand, you ought to pay a greater interest rate. Mm-hmm. As that happens on bonds, the same happened on mortgages. Didn't happen. Yes. Didn't happen for several reasons. One of which is you still got a pretty hefty appetite for our, our debt from overseas. Mm-hmm. From China, the second largest owner of US debt, to Japan, the third largest, and actually even down as far as Russia. Uh, with the collapse of the ruble, what you found is there's a lot of money coming in and flowing into the bond market. In addition, there's people like you or I who say, well, we think the equity markets and stock market is getting a bit bit frothy. Yes. And they're pulling some money off the table, yep. putting into Just the putting safety in the bond. of bonds. Mm-hmm. Right. So given all these things in concert with each other, that kept rates remarkably low. Now, I do promise you, mortgage rates are going to go up yes i really really yes. really will um and my forecast right now is we might get to 4.3 percent on the 30-year fix by the end of next year
1: yeah and so. who would have thought matthew that we hit another all-time low i mean literally no we had another historical low so it's kind of like this is our new norm but once it starts changing
4: and, and it will, and ultimately it has to mm-hmm. and so yes you're right we we, we hit that low twice which yes. is quite, quite remarkable no yeah. one was seeing it but they are going to go up, but the point is they're going to go up very modestly, which also plays into the is there a housing bubble argument as well. Yeah. We're not going to see a big spike. Okay, We shouldn't see a big spike, but we'll talk more about after the election. Yeah. But uh, we're un- unlikely to see that. As long as that's the case, then borrowing costs are still going to be historically remarkably cheap for everyone yes. other than millennials.
1: Okay, because
4: You're going to find millennials coming to the market next year or so. And saying, "What do you mean? I've got to pay four and a half percent for a mortgage? Yeah. That's a rip-off.
1: Yeah, because all they know, is, all these they ridiculously know is three low and three eighths. Yes. Exactly.
4: Mm-hmm. Now go back to nineteen ninety when there were ten percent. Go back to nineteen. We got to get
1: out our charts. Exactly. Go back to nineteen eighty-two <laughs> yes. when
4: mortgage rates were twenty yeah, percent. People still bought houses.
1: Crazy. So, Matthew, we talked a little bit about uh, new construction, but there's an awful lot of apartment projects being built. And are we ever going to see more condo towers coming up?
4: Uh, it's it, that's another fascinating question. Um, to start off with, we've seeing a huge amount compared to our historic averages of new construction on apartments. Why is the question I think uh-huh. a lot of people put out there. Uh, and basically speaking, you're finding a lot of developers that are building apartments and not condominiums. They're doing that for several reasons, one of which is you can actually borrow money to build apartments. It's yes. very still very, very difficult okay. to get construction financing to build condominiums. Uh-huh. Point two: You build a condominium tower, you will get sued. Yeah, uh, it is inevitable. So it's
1: the it's the risk.
4: It's the risk, and yes. so to offset that risk, you've got to buy wrap mm-hmm. insurance, which is remarkably yep. expensive. Secondly, it's expense; it's the cost of building the condo towers. Okay, it's very very expensive. So, mm-hmm. how deep is that market when you're having to pay eight, nine hundred dollars per foot to buy a condo? Yeah,
1: there's
4: a market out there for that, but how deep is it? Now, so that makes building a condo maybe not not as hot as it used to be okay on the other hand you're building apartments you can build apartments that's great is there demand for them what's happening right now is the institutional investment community from across the country there everyone's chasing yield everyone's chasing a return Mm -hmm. uh, because they have pension checks to write out and these kinds of things they are buying these projects as quickly as they are being built okay so huge amount of demand for institutions so a developer can borrow money Banks are happy to lend on apartments. Uh-huh. Uh, he will not get sued because yes. he's going to sell yep, it. Yep. He'll get paid essentially as much money as he would do building a condominium. Wow. And he'll get paid about two years earlier. So you want to so know why everyone's would. building apartments? Yes,
1: makes total why. sense. So then on the high-rise condos for purchase, that would make sense that that, that appreciation, the ability um, for appreciation is, there's a lot of opportunity for those to appreciate at a high level if there's going to be... Supply and
4: demand. Yeah, well, we've certainly seen in, in a couple of uh, projects which have been built, um, certainly in downtown Seattle, Insignia and Luma are the two ones which immediately come to mind. Uh-huh. Great demand, selling remarkably well, if not yes. almost sold out by now. So yeah. we certainly know there is an, an amount there. Now, do I expect to see a lot uh, of new condo towers, no. Yes. Can we do with a few more? Yes, actually we could. Yeah, yeah. But I just don't see that we're going to see a plethora of them
1: yeah. coming on the market because we're still seeing. I mean, people want to live in high-rise condos; they want that lifestyle, and there's only so many out there. So let's. I want to go back to our talk about rents. Mm. What wh- I mean, the rental market has been as crazy as the housing market. Multiple offers on a rent pro- on a rental home. So what are you seeing with the rental market and? How is that that indicator of the housing market? Okay.
4: Um, well, the rental market, I would suggest it, it's bifurcated. When I say mm-hmm. bifurcated, what I mean is the fact that we're seeing a huge amount of development activity and huge rents occurring where Belltown, South Lake Union. Yes. That's essentially where okay. it's happening, right past the Capitol Hill, where we're seeing an awful—I mean, six, seven thousand units coming online over the next couple of years per year. So a huge amount of, of new supply. That, that's that's okay, but we're not seeing that development patterns occur out in the suburbs. Now, what I, I believe right now, I think we're in a bit of a speculative bubble when it comes to apartments. So okay. We're seeing apartment rents escalate at r- very remarkably rapid rates. Yeah. And so we're at a point now whereby, I, as far as I can see, in the next probably year, 18 months, we're going to bring on so many apartment units, that's going to cause rents to drop.
1: Really? Yeah,
4: uh, at least certainly in, in the the urban markets of downtown Seattle.
1: So, when that happens, that obviously has an effect on the housing market.
4: It does, and, and we're getting to a point now, and certainly on these high-rise apartments, uh-huh. we're looking at rents where people are having to pay $2,000, 3000 per sure. month in rent. Yep. Yeah. Now, you and all your listeners can figure out wh- what that equates to in terms of the, the ability to borrow, to yes. buy. Yes, yes. Now, a lot, there were, certainly, post the recession, a lot of people saying, well, you know what, they, this, this is the renter generation. All these young millennials, they're never gonna buy, they're gonna rent forever. I totally disagree with that. Okay. They will buy, they're postponing it Uh by about two or three years, but they are gonna buy. They are actually gonna start seeing the value of owning rather than renting. Yes. They're gonna come into the marketplace, but the big question is, will there be anything for them to
1: buy? Yeah. On that, I'm gonna take us to commercial. Coming up next in the Money Hour, more conversation with Matthew Gardner, Chief Economist with Windermere on real estate right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break.
5: Are you confused about how to hire the right agent? The reality is the agent you hire will have a significant impact on the results that you get in your next real estate transaction. The problem is that most buyers and sellers don't know what questions to ask their agent before they hire them, and sometimes they don't know that they may have made an error until it's too late. The Nicole Magina Group with Windermere Real Estate has proven systems and strategies that allow their clients to consistently achieve their goals in today's market. At the Nicole Magina Group, they've helped hundreds of clients get amazing results in the local real estate market. What's a win-win for you? As a top real estate consultant, that's a question that is always asked of their prospective buyers and sellers. As the number one real estate company in North America in agent count with over 100,000 agents and growing, that's a question Gary Keller has asked the top agents in the country since founding Keller Williams Realty International in 1983. Providing a win-win environment is central to building a company that tops the industry in training, marketing, and technology, culture, and wealth-building strategies. Hi, this is Dan Wingard with Keller Williams Realty in downtown Bellevue, you can reach me directly at 206-501-9728, or you can visit us online at kellerwilliamsbellevue.com. You can contact me directly, and I'll provide you a copy of Gary Keller's latest book, The One Thing.
0: You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell.
1: Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, October 8th show. I provide you the news on everything money, fresh information on market trends and conditions in our local economy. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. You can call into the show with any questions for my guest or future guests that you'd like to have on the show. 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. Back with Matthew Gardner, chief economist with Windermere Re- real estate, having a conversation about what's happening in the economy, our real estate interest rates. Matthew, again, thank you so much for taking time with me. Always happy. So any changes that you're seeing coming that are going to affect the local real estate market negatively and positively other than what we've talked about already?
4: I would say that The one thing that keeps me awake at night right now relative to the local housing market here in Seattle is housing affordability. Okay. And there's a big reason for that. Um, And it all breaks down to the competitive nature of our city to, to grow and expand and attract businesses to come in. Now, we're obviously right now very, very lucky with the amazing businesses, the Amazons, the Microsoft, yes. et cetera, that we have here. And we're attracting more. I mean, LinkedIn's coming along. Facebook's coming along. There, there are a lot of these very large companies are moving into the area or expanding into it. Now, one of the biggest decisions that a, when a company decides to move somewhere is how much do I have to pay my staff? And the biggest <laughs> component of that is shelter's cost of living. Yes. And at some point, it is quite likely that they're going to look at Seattle in a similar way some of them do to, let's say, the Bay Area and say, you know, it's too expensive. I have to pay my staff too much money. So all of a sudden, our competitive edge can possibly start slowing down. Got it. Um, And so a lot of these companies now are regional, national or international. And at some point, we're not there yet, but it wouldn't surprise me to see CFOs saying, well, we could be in Seattle, but why not Coeur d'Alene, Idaho? Oh my gosh! Exactly. Wow. Because of the fact of, of housing prices here. Yes. And so, and also, you have to add on to that congestion and traffic and various other issues that we have, which are, are very, very major issues. Yes. So, housing affordability, I would and say, and two thousand thirty-three
1: is, is quite a ways off. Uh, it it, it <laughs> is.
4: Um, St three. Um, <laughs> personally speaking, I think is is a a, a great proposition, but he said it's uh-huh. it's over a very, very long yes. time time horizon. Yeah. And so, we certainly can't guarantee it will pass, but we want to fix housing affordability. We have to fix transit. Yes. And that by far is the, the biggest issue, I believe, that we have as a region.
1: Are, do you think that they're putting enough attention on housing affordability? Um, uh, any new things that are coming out that their initiatives that they're trying to put together for that?
4: Well, yes. I mean, it's the city of Seattle certainly uh, has put together several committees uh, and a, a perceived called Grand Bargain to try and figure out how do we create housing or make housing affordable. Yes. Personally speaking, and I've been on some of these committees, I, I think that looking at it purely on a city-by-city city basis is remarkably naive. We have to understand that housing affordability is a regional issue that requires a regional response, mm-hmm. not just the city of Seattle saying, sure. we've got a problem I- in Seattle. Yes. There's a problem everywhere. Yes. And a lo- and it's a very big one. It's very, uh, a very tough one to address because the bottom line is housing affordability tends to be driven by land.
1: Mm-hmm. And we don't land,
4: have any. The, exactly. The more mm-hmm. land you have, it's fine. Yeah. So we have these huge topographic constraints. We have mountains. We have water. Um, and really, kind of our region is remarkably linear. Yeah. And so we have that. Then layer onto that geopolitical aspects, which is growth management and urban mm-hmm. growth boundaries, mm-hmm. saying where you can build, where you can't. So that further limits supply. Yes. Now go back to economics one hundred and one. Limit supply, have net new demand. Uh-huh. What happens to prices? Yes, they go up. Yes, and that's certainly what we're seeing here. Now we have land. Don't get me wrong, but the trouble is, it's that uh, if you ever try driving, let's say from Kent to, to downtown Seattle, uh-huh. or from Everett to Seattle, uh-huh. when it's raining, yeah, um, then you are looking at an hour to two hour commute. Now, if we can move people around uh, at a, in a in a way that they can be at their offices or within, let's say, thirty minutes. Uh-huh. Um, then I think that opens up large swaths of land, both to the north as well as to the south. Yes. Uh, that, uh, because some become viable as land price, which is a lot lower, mm-hmm. which means the house price will be lower, which therefore starts addressing.
1: Well, you know, and I've I've seen articles um, where they really have talked to about an, uh, employers uh, making more consideration of people working from. The home you know yeah. with I you know I, I know it's not a big popular thing yet but there's been conversation around it with technology and the ability to be able to do that
4: there, there, there has and it's that's something which actually came up uh, probably about a decade ago uh-huh. We started talking about working from uh, working remote remotely I believe yes now some people tried it and they thought it's a great idea and uh-huh. you know, roll out of bed in, in your slippers and and down to the office sure. and and there you go uh, didn't work and the reason bigger reason why it didn't work is that we like the symbiosis. We like being around other people and being close to them around the water cooler and talking Mm -hmm. rather than doing it remotely. And you lose that. Yes. And so therefore, the the first experience of that didn't work out quite as well. Now, that's not to say some people can't work a a day or day and a half at home Mm -hmm. in a week, but certainly no more than that. And in aggregate, the people that can do that is not going to heavily influence amount of people on our freeways or in our using our transit systems
1: got it so Matthew what about uh, consumer confidence what are you what are you seeing there uh, now
4: confidence looking uh, is looking up uh-huh. I mean, both co- in general consumer confidence consumer sentiment uh, are they were trending in the right direction it's kind of noisy they tend to flip up and down uh, quite a lot and that's generally speaking right now because of the election but the trend is positive. The trend relative to housing is positive as well. Uh-huh. Why? Because all of a sudden our household wealth has actually increased. Uh, our equity in our homes has grown. If you look at it as a country, uh, housing in the US is worth about $23 trillion, give or take. Okay. So um, that's where we stand right now. now. It obviously went up, went down dramatically through uh-huh. the housing bubble, uh-huh. has recovered remarkably well. At the same time, our mortgage levels, we haven't added onto our mortgage debt in probably six or seven years. We've kept it the same because down payments have gone yes, up. Yep. So all of a sudden, there's a terrible time in 2008 when we turn negative in terms of equity mm-hmm. in our homes. Then we turn positive again. It's acting as a very big cushion, which is good. I expect to see more HELOC activity. Um, no question about that's happening yes, already. Yes. Uh, as people look to take out for cash out financing, mm-hmm. we'll see more of that. But it makes it means if we're comfortable with the fact we have beneath us an asset which is worth more than we paid for it, Yes. that makes us comfortable yeah, and what's important as a country is the fact when we feel comfortable, we start spending money. Uh-huh. America is a nation of buyers, yes. And so if you look at seventy percent of our growth, uh, GDP growth is just us buying stuff. Mm-hmm. And as we buy more stuff, our economy continues to expand and grow. Now we're not buying as much as we did a decade ago. Yes, and so we are being a little bit cautious, uh-huh. savings rates going up, that's a good thing. yes, but at the same time, it, it does mean we are we are feeling actually relatively happy about it. Beyond the fact of the question of the bubble, and that's I think very few people are worried about it. That own mm-hmm. maybe those first-time buyers that want to buy are, are, are feeling the pinch more.
1: Well, and I think too that we now that we've gone through this, as um, uh, from cons- consumer standpoint, we've gone through, we've seen. Uh, Drastic drop in real estate. People lost a lot of money, but we've seen the recovery and see how the market, we've experienced this down and up and back where we're at. So I'm sure that has, you know, helps with uh, confidence in getting into real estate, knowing that the real estate market always drops and it always goes up. So as well, yeah, long I mean, as you're it, not selling in a bad market.
4: Um, dropping, dropping is a relative word. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, I don't think we're ever going to experience the drop that we saw in 2007, 2008. Okay. Uh, it's highly unlikely that will ever happen again unless we start lending money to anyone and everyone, oh, yes. which is very, very unlikely, mm-hmm. given Dodd-Frank and various other things. sure. So because of that, yes, do, do we see peaks and troughs? Yes, but they are very, very modest. And you tend to find that less in markets which are supply constrained. Uh-huh. So you'll see it more in areas, let's say, like Houston, um, which have no constraints to growth. Phoenix, again, no constraints to growth. they will keep on building as far as the eye can see. We can't sure. do that here. Yeah. And yet the last time more people moved out of Seattle that moved in was 1973. Mm -hmm. So every year, a lot more people coming in and going out. That increases demand, and we still have a limited stock of housing to buy.
1: Yeah, so Matthew, I wanna switch this on a little bit different topic here and talk about the issues that we're having with appraisers. Um, Because I, you know, and and another thing, actually before we go that I wanna um, give a shout out with Windermere because it's really unusual for a real estate company to hire a chief economist specifically through the real estate company and um uh, so let's go there first i want to talk about that in windermere and the decision for them bringing you on and really having that part of the the team
4: well i've been very fortunate i was a consultant with windermere and have been for almost 20 years uh uh-huh. so back in the mid-1990s uh, that relationship started uh, out um about five years five six years ago uh the president of windermere and i were visiting about immediately post-housing bubble, what could have been done differently, how we could have mm-hmm. looked at it differently. And that's when was mentioned, well, what if you actually kind of came to work for us? Yeah. Um, it, it took a few years to figure out how that would look and what mm-hmm. that would be. And so, uh, I mean, I certainly give uh, the, the family a huge amount of credit for for bringing somebody on like myself, because we are the only traditional brokerage in the U.S. Uh that has its own economist.
1: Wow. And you're known at every real estate company, I mean, whether it's Remax or John L. Scott or Colbert-Kurbane, everybody knows who you (laughs) are and you go and speak with them and really talk about what's happening with the market. So let me get back to being, I wanted to to start with that too, because you're with realtors all the time Mm -hmm. um, and educating in what's happening and how to prepare for the market. The appraisers, the lack of the appraisers and what's happening, do you see anything changing with that? And um, Because it's a real challenge when it comes to timelines.
4: In, in the short term, I'd say no. Uh, right now, uh, appraisers um, obviously were, were, were kicked to the curb a lot yes. after the end of the housing bubble and they were blamed to a great degree for yes. it. And certainly it's not entirely their fault, but uh-huh. they, they had to accept some, some kind of culpability. So, because of that, they are being remarkably more cautious mm-hmm. now. and They're taking their time, and they're dotting their I's and crossing their T's, mm-hmm. which they probably should have done before, but uh, it takes a lot longer now. So, rather than yes. doing three or four appraisals in a day, they're not doing it. So, we have a lot more demand. Transactions, uh, velocity is still higher. Mm-hmm. We're not bringing on that many more appraisers to come in. So, therefore, people are having to wait. And that is a yeah. problem. There is a backlog already. And I don't see that going away anytime soon. Now, in the longer term... Uh, I'll be honest with you, I think appraisers are somewhat, uh, remind me of dodos. Uh, and when I say that, it means that do I think it's a business which will be around forever? I, I, I really don't. don't.
1: I, I totally agree with you, Matthew. I think
4: it's uh, essentially appraisals are going to become automated.
1: Yes. Yeah. And
4: so, with that, uh, if anyone's thinking about becoming an appraiser, think about it in a short to medium term, maybe not the long term.
1: Yes. Great advice. So, Matthew, let's talk about our real estate professionals. I have a, a lot of real estate professionals that uh, listen to the show. They come in and share their wealth of information as well. What advice are you giving the season agents in this market right now to navigate and to really thrive?
4: Well, I'd say that uh, certainly those that represent buyers, um, they're, they're having a hard time. And they're having yes. a hard time because they are being accused of not showing their clients something they want to buy. Uh-huh. And what the problem is, there's nothing on the market to buy.
1: Exactly. And
4: so it doesn't matter if there's nothing on the market. It's still their fault. Yes. And so be patient. And and they are very, very good at doing that Uh uh, because it is going to be arduous. And quite frankly, for the buyer themselves, um, they're getting tired and they're going to start blaming somebody. Yeah. And it's kind of kicking the dog, so to speak. So I think I'd say hang in there. It's going to be okay. Beyond that, um, I think that it's going to be important for for the broker to be, one, obviously, they're very knowledgeable about the market, Mm -hmm. but also... To be able to demonstrate adequately the fact that, no, it it is, we are in a great region. Um, House prices, yes, you may see some fluctuations, but the trend will continue to be upwards. Uh I certainly think it will be. And we can demonstrate that uh, in the real numbers out there. So I'd say, and as far as people representing sellers, uh, what is interesting right now is that sellers' perceptions are quite ridiculous. When I say ridiculous, okay. as to what they believe they think they can sell their house for.
1: Yes, which is so unbelievable because there's numbers and there's stats. and Right, but we've, <laughs>
4: we've seen the average list price in King County for single-family homes be above a million dollars for the last nine months,
1: Yeah,
4: uh, which is actually 10 months, which is quite astounding. Yes. And so um, it's up there because the belief is, well, there's all these buyers out there. There's very little supply. Therefore, mm-hmm. I can... Uh, I can put my house on the market for $100,000 more uh-huh. uh, than it was three months ago. So I would say to the agents, just be cautious about that. Don't, don't, don't need, actually need the listing per se. Uh-huh. Now, certainly, it's important. as your business. But uh, don't just accept any number that gets thrown out there because we are finding some listings hanging around. Buyers are, are sensible, as are their brokers, mm-hmm. and they're not going to overpay.
1: Yes. So stick with what you know the property value is. And if the seller can't agree, then move on to the next one. Absolutely. you want to represent somebody that's going to be realistic in the market. Um, a shout out to anybody that's thinking of getting into the industry, uh, Matthew, and selling real estate. What would you say to them?
4: It's a lot of work. Yes. Um, in the belief Not that as
1: easy as it looks. The
4: belief that it's very easy and very lucrative and the fact perhaps you spent too much time watching reality TV um, and some people it say it does
1: look glamorous, <laughs> and it does, doesn't it? Or something yes. running
4: around in $400,000 cars, exactly. um, and spending millions on weddings. Anyway, that, <laughs> but, but I, I'd say that uh, no, it is a lot of work, and, uh-huh. and it's not normal timing. Now, what is interesting, we are seeing some of this millennial generation, younger people coming into the business, and they're fascinating because they want to work and they do work remarkably hard. They do actually have a very good life balance. So they'll come in and they'll mm. work for five or six hours, just nose to the grindstone. But then they're saying, well, no, in the afternoons, I want to go hiking. Uh, I want to uh, actually have a life. And so that's going to be interesting because that tends to be what we don't see from, let's say, the more seasoned veterans out there. Yes. So, um, but is it a good business? Yes, it is. Uh, it's good to see young people coming into it. Yeah. Um, they're remarkably enthusiastic. But I would say if you want to get into it, understand the fact that it is not a nine-to-five job yeah. and nor do you get a nine-to-five-style t- paycheck. So it's, uh, it's, you will be self-employed. Yes. Uh, and uh, with all the consequences, good and bad mm-hmm. that, that that entails.
1: Well, I'll give a shout out for seasoned uh, agents or for new agents, uh, Ninja. Uh, Windermere's got amazing trading program to keep you um, uh, up to date on everything you should be doing. Uh, less than 60 seconds, Matthew. Shout out final words for my listeners.
4: If you're thinking about buying, hanging, keep on looking. Yes. Um, it is a tough market, but there are houses out there. Get in there now because mortgage rates, I said, they are not gonna go up and that will have an influence on what you can afford, yep. as you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. on. So be patient, it's gonna be tough, but you will find somewhere. And it is gonna be a great asset to have in the long term.
1: Great advice. Matthews, thank you so much again for coming into studio. Always a pleasure.
4: You are always welcome.
1: Coming up next in the Money Hour, what is your story and how can you take your business to the next level by sharing it? Sally Fox with Engaging Presence right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break.
5: Here at Empowering the Mature Mind, we provide consulting and design services that allow both homeowners and industry professionals to create successful housing solutions for our second half of life. Empowering the Mature Mind is a residential and outreach program of ADM Architecture. Go to www.empoweringthematuremind.com to sign up for our newsletter and browse all the free and wonderful resources and information available to you right now. Our mission is to help you by dramatically improving your ability to live a longer and happier life at home. Working with Empowering the Mature Mind and ADM Architecture could easily create the best ROI of any investment you could make in your retirement years. Let us prove it to you. For more information, go to www.empoweringthematuremind.com or call 360-440-8475 today. Again, that's 360-440-8475.
3: Did you know that your story is the secret tool that will make your brand come alive? Do you want to stand out with your customers, create a memorable website, or lead the way on social media? Sally Fox at engagingpresence.com will show you how to use story power to connect with customers and make your message heard. Visit engagingpresence.com and sign up for Sally's free tips and inspiration about developing story presence. And tell Sally you heard her on The Money Hour and receive a free 30-minute consultation about creating the story you need to make your business grow.
2: This is Sally Fox of Engaging Presence, and I look forward to hearing from you. You can reach me at sally@engagingpresence.com. Or visit my website, engagingpresence.com. I have some treats for you on the site, including if you send me an email, a special handout I've written for you on how to find great stories from
0: your clients. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell.
1: Welcome back to The Money R with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, October 8th show, bringing in expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events in our local economy and how it can affect your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, you can call the show at 1-855-400-1150 or go online to themoneyhour.com to discuss anything regarding money uh, with the guests that I have in studio or myself. And right now I'm having a conversation with Sally Fox with Engaging Presence. Sally, thank you so much for uh, chatting with me again.
2: Uh, Tina, it's always a pleasure to be with you.
1: And a little bit about Sally. Sally Fox is a coach and consultant who has coached hundreds of professionals to use stories to grow their business and inspire others to take action. Storytelling is a powerful tool in business that helps you connect and engage more effectively with others. Whether you're a small business owner or a team manager, a C-suite executive, or an independent professional, you know the part of your success depends on motivating others. Sally helps you develop stories that will make your message stick. She has has delivered business storytelling workshops locally and internationally. Uh, she's a professional speaker who can show you how to bring power and pizzazz to your presentation. Sally holds a doctorate in leadership development and an MBA and has brought her institute bottom line approach to producing results to her clients for over 20 years. She has recently chosen to be part of the Selective Forbes Coaching Council. So, Sally, let's just go ahead and start it right out with what do you mean by your customer story?
2: Well, your your customers will come to you with a need. There's something they want from you. And it's easy to rush in and want to fulfill that need. Or you hear, you know, they want to buy a house and they want to have it have four bedrooms and this and that. And so you spring into action. But if you're interested in sustaining a long-term relationship and really getting to the bottom of what they want, not just what they're telling you, but what's in their heart, then a story is your best friend. Because the story just invites people to go a little bit deeper, bring you into their lives, share what they're really looking for, so that in getting their story, they're likely to trust you more And they're likely to give you the information that you really need to be able to um, meet their needs.
1: So, Sally, what about your story as the business professional and sharing your story with your client? What would you say to that?
2: Well, I think sharing your story is a powerful place of um, creating connection and also separating you from the masses. Mm -hmm. Because for example, in my trade, maybe like yours, you know, there are hundreds of coaches and consultants. But if I share my story about how I came into my practice of story, and how I discovered that story is like the secret ingredient that helps engage people, and what it was like for me to be shifting a presentation I made in a professional audience to a story that I started to perform before professional colleagues and how that transformed my practice, I give you a little bit of a clue about who I am and also the distinction of my service that will make me stand out Mm -hmm. relative to other people. And that's what you want. You want to stand out. Yes. And you want to engage.
1: You want to stand out and engage and and you want to be able to connect with your clients to For them to be able to take action, you know, I always uh, I always share with people that, you know, when you're trying to communicate a message, a good formula is the why behind it. The benefit if they do and the risk if they don't because ultimately as business professionals it's our job to help our clients engage in the level that we know that they need to for them to be successful and would you agree Sally that you know when you're talking about uh, a risk of somebody doesn't that they don't do what they need to do and a benefit if they do putting that into a story is going to be emotionally more emotionally enable for them to connect and understand the message you're trying to share
2: that's absolutely right because underneath it all what a story gives you is a place of uh, feeling, of mm-hmm. emotion, the kind of thing that grips you and, and makes you want to act in a way that just presenting a list of benefits will never add up to.
1: Yes. So, Sally, what about your customer sharing that story? How do you get them to do that? Sharing their story about themselves or sharing their story about you? Sharing their story about you. Let's talk about that. Because that's really what we want to do as business professionals. We want to build the buzz with our community so that they see the benefit in working with us.
2: Exactly right. But let's step back for just a moment because when your clients feel like you're genuinely interested in their story. Okay. And maybe in the beginning you say more interested in their story than telling your story. Uh-huh. They're going to feel like you're the kind of person who really gets them and when they feel that and they feel connected to you like you are so interested in them mm-hmm. then they can go out and start to talk about you not out of any spiel that you've given them sure. but because they've experienced you as being an exceptional listener and somebody who really gets it
1: so let's talk about that Sally and listening because we've uh, we all know as as experts and business owners that the key to connecting is listening but for some reason, it's hard a lot of people to let go of the conversation and just listen. So let's talk about the effectiveness, the real effectiveness to listening to your clients.
2: Right. Well, first of all, I want to uh, give you a little bit of research that I think is going to be interesting to your clients who are, of course, interested in the management of money. There was a a really interesting study done of top financial advisors, uh-huh. the kind of advisors who manage large portfolios and ha- manage anywhere between 20% and 100% of the assets of their you know, top dollar clients. What they discovered was that there was a quantitative difference between the, the top advisors who were managing 100% of the assets and the 20% Advisors, And that difference was their ability to really listen and mm-hmm. hear the stories. The 100% advisors were in there, not just getting the facts and listening to the needs, mm-hmm. but they wanted to hear their clients' biographies. Mm-hmm. So they took the time to listen to the biographies. And, you know, we're, we're talking multi-millions of dollars. Yes. Yes. Um, they were the ones who ended up with the big portfolios, not the ones who kind of skimmed through a few questions, but never really took it all in.
1: No no surprise at all with that, uh, Sally. And also it's you know, by listening and finding out what your client's story is, when you're engaging with them, you can bring that story into the future of whatever product um, that you're working with to help your clients be successful in fi- in their financial life.
2: And that's a great point, Tina. I mm-hmm. love that point because it's where you start creating the future together yes. and creating a story about that future. Mm-hmm. That's when you're really working in tandem because when you ask people not just what do you want or what your goals are, but tell me a story about what it's going to be like when you move into your new house. Yes. Tell me a story about what it's going to be like when you've made the money that you want to make.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Then they're giving you the real stuff.
1: Yes. So now we understand the importance of finding out what your client's story is, sharing your story so you're building that relationship. But are there are there certain questions and things that you can ask to get your clients to open up and be willing to share?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you can start. Often I'm going to start with a question that's pretty simple. You know, tell me about your business or mm-hmm. tell me about what's going on for you right now. I may not start out with a hard-hitting question you know. that goes straight in and asks them to tell me all their needs, Mm -hmm. but as they begin to tell that story, no matter what it is, the real trick comes with listening Mm -hmm. and being able to formulate the question. So, you're listening, and I know you do this because you're such a good um, interviewer, you're listening for, aha, they've just said something that gives me a clue. Mm -hmm. There's something underneath that. And so you know how to go from listening to creating a story that says, "Tell me more about that," and you lead from question into question into question. So you might start out very safe and very global, but by the end, you're talking about the specifics of what your client really wants.
1: Got it. And so let's um, uh, let's talk about time, Shelley Um, or Sally. Oh my God, hold on. Sorry about that. That's okay. <sighs> so Sally, let's go ahead and talk about time because everybody is busy and you know I, I hear people say whether it's uh, professionals or whether it's consumers, if only I had more time I would And you know I always tell people just fill in the blank and let's uh, let's get efficient with our time. But when you're when you're really trying to get to get people to open up that can take time. So how can we help our clients slow down and to really be able to, take time to think what's important and share that story with us.
2: Well, there's one thing about clients and customers, and that is that they usually always like to talk about themselves. Mm -hmm. So if they can feel that you have a genuine interest in their story Mm -hmm. and that you have an intent to learn as much as you can about them, to really feel who they are, and that you really like who they are, you know, so you're really interested, It's kind of amazing that even people who are very stressed and stretched for time may naturally slow down because of how interested you are. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really big first piece. And also making sure that time is right, because it's like when people catch you on the street and they call you on your cell and you go, and then they start to ask you a bunch of questions and you go, whoa, whoa, I'm in Safeway. This Uh is not the right time. There's also a time and a place to be able to ask those stories. So sure. you want to you wanna invite them. Is this, is this a good time for you? Mm-hmm. You want to breathe so you don't appear to be in a hurry. Yes. And then you want to show such interest that they just kind of fall into your lap Mm -hmm. and start telling you more and more and more.
1: And, you know, that's a good point too, Sally. And, uh, the importance of really, um, asking the question more than, than once and getting them to go a little bit deeper because you can ask somebody what's important about homeownership and, you know, Hey, we just don't want to rent anymore. Okay. So that's great in, in not renting and being a homeowner. What's important to you about that? Well, we're thinking about having kids. Wow. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. So in having a home for your children, what does that look like for you? So really being able to go a little bit deeper. And I like to say it's kind of asking it three times in a different way and adding in what they've said so that they they really get to that true reason that they want um, to engage in whatever activity and and, um, um, area that you're trying to help them with.
2: Totally. I'll give you a story about my real estate agent, Sarah. This is many uh-huh. years ago, but she was helping me find my first house. And I was shopping with a partner that I had at the time. And we went through house after house, and it was just a slog. Nothing was working. But but underneath it, the truth was my relationship with this partner wasn't working at, at all. Uh-huh. And as Sarah stayed with me and she listened to my story and she got to know me and she was listening for both what we wanted and what I wanted, she was ready. So when I finally got the light and I split up with this partner, Sarah knew what I was looking for and she knew who I was and she knew I was a single woman who wanted to find a nest that would allow me to support it on my own, Mm -hmm. but also would be a place where I could build the next relationship sure so she was able to have that picture not just of the rooms and the house you know that what the kitchen was like but what my life should be like mm-hmm. and i tell you within one week of break, breaking up with this partner she'd found me my dream house wow because she knew who i was yes she exactly story
1: So Sally, I just have a minute here, but I want to ask you something because stories are powerful, whether you're um, getting to know your clients and their story, um, sharing your story so they can connect with you, but also being able to share stories of others to help people um, to be inspired by that person's story. So do you, uh, you have a suggestion of how do you do that? How do you engage and share your client's story to inspire your other clients?
2: You listen for the drama, and you listen for the transformation. Okay. Stories always bring change—beginning, middle, and end. So you want to feel like they have gone from some place before that they weren't really happy with mm-hmm. to uh, to the new place. You're not the hero of that story, but you are the advisor, the wise guide, the one who was at their side to make it happen. So you look for the story that makes your client the hero, Mm -hmm. but you show how you were at their side through the whole thing.
1: Sally, great advice. Thank you so much for um, spending time with me today and sharing a little bit of advice on storytelling.
2: It's always a delight. And if anyone's interested, they can con- contact me at sally at engagingpresence.com. I have a whole handout on how to elicit a great story from your client.
1: Sally, thank you so much.
2: You're welcome, Tina. Take care.
1: Okay. And this is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday, the rest of your weekend. I'll be here, same time, same place, right here on 1150 AM at KKNW.
0: The preceding program is paid for by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 1071, AZBK 0910184. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Absolute Mortgage. Visit AbsoluteLoans.com or call 888-90-HOMES for cost information.